Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. So today we will be talking about The Watcher. This was actually recommended to us by one of our patrons and my bestie, Damien. But what's interesting, too, is that in 2022, The Watcher that was done by Ryan Murphy was also released on Netflix. Had you heard of this before this suggestion? Because I had not heard of it. And I was like, what? When I read it. No, I hadn't until I think you watched it first and you're like, you have to watch it. And then I was like, okay, this is what I will be doing on our break is watching The Watcher. Well, the show itself follows a family and their experience with their dream house where they start to get really terrifying letters. Mm-hmm. The show on Netflix is a dramatization kind of situation where it's not really a documentary. There's kind of overlapping themes and things that happen, but it's not like a one for one. And so today we're going to talk about one of the true stories behind the show, because there's actually two separate ones. We're going to have the second case in a shorter episode that will be coming out relatively soon. We have parts of the letters that were sent to the homeowners. A special thank you to our patrons who lent their voices to read the letters. Folks are reading different points, so we don't really have one voice for the watcher. Makes it more creepy because it could be anyone. Yeah. And again clarification wise there's only one person that we're aware of that was the watcher but we use multiple voices so that this way you weren't getting used to like one idea of who it would be right before we get to the case we wanted to kind of set the scene about where this all happens and it's in westfield new jersey which i had never heard of because i don't really know much about jersey (laughs) neither do i you could tell me any city and be like sure it's in new jersey i don't know (laughs) (laughs) The only thing we know about New Jersey is Jersey Devil. <laughs> Jersey Devil. Jersey Devil. Yeah, that should be the city. Yeah, that should be. Jersey Devil City. <laughs> so in the 2010 census, there were just 30,316 residents in Westfield. And it's described as having a small town vibe with very little crime, which I feel like anything that's really bizarre, that's always the scene. It's about an hour from New York City. And according to Bloomberg in 2018, Westfield was named the 99th highest income place in the United States. And what that means is that the median income in Westfield, it's just shy of $160,000 a year. And in comparison, where I live, the median income is about $40,000. And where Amanda is, it's about $34,000. And in New York City, it's $34,000 as well, which to me is wild. So the street where the Bratis' story unfolds is Boulevard Street, but it's commonly referred to as the Boulevard. And people say that it was in the best part of Westfield. So it feels like it's extra bougie, right? Because it's like in the best part in this place where everyone's very affluent. Right. In one of the watcher's letters to the Bratis', they even said the Boulevard used to be the street to live on. You made it if you lived on the Boulevard. Fancy. Yeah. So let's talk about... What actually happened? In 2014, the Broadus family bought the home, 657 Boulevard Street. The house was built in 1905 and was the best one on the block at the time. It was purchased for $1.3 million in 2014 and had six bedrooms, which nowadays I feel like some regular homes are going for that, right? Wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Especially here, actually. That, that surprised me with the median income here. Because it's it's just wild times in Arizona. Yeah. The family wasn't living in the home quite yet because they were doing some serious renovations. But they were introducing themselves and their children to their neighbors at the time. Which I feel like makes sense if you're going to like move into a fancy neighborhood. Like you want to be like, hey, this is who we are because otherwise people are going to get like pissed at you for the construction. That's fair. Like, I feel like they do that in my neighborhood, too, when people move in. At least, like, the neighbors side by side. They go and introduce themselves. Also, like, if you can make friends with people, then they won't call the HOA on you all the time. So let's talk about who's in this family. The father was Derek, and he had just turned 40. The mother, her name was Maria. And then they had three kids, and they were 5, 8, and 10 years old. Now that we got the background stuff taken care of, let's talk about what actually happened. Three days after they had purchased the home, 
Derek was there late because he was painting, which makes sense because they were doing the renovation. It was about 10 p.m. when he took a break to go outside and grab the mail. Inside the mailbox, there was a letter addressed to, quote unquote, the new owner. So Derek's like, cool, and opened it. Allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. The letter also noted that they had been renovating the home and mentioned the make and model of their vehicle, a Honda minivan. The letter continued. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them home. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe. I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard. And all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. The letter was signed in a typed cursive font. The Watcher. So not surprisingly, Derek was freaking out. Fair. Fair. But also, like... Aren't you kind of freaking out now? First off, let's talk about referring to children as young bloods. I'm already wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> like, no, thank you. We're actually not. It's not even children necessarily. Right. Like, did you fill the house with young blood? Like, like, um, no, <laughs> I'm scared. I feel dirty. I am terrified. I'm confused. Right. Like, obviously, this is what happened. It's a human being that put these in the mailbox. Right. Mm hmm. Theoretically. <laughs> Theoretically. Can't you see this exact story and uh, exact letters, though? But make a new story with like a ghost that lives inside the home. Oh, like the call is coming from within the house. Yes. Yes. The, the letters are coming from within the house, within the walls. Then you just burn the whole thing down then. Like you just <laughs> let them follow you. Light a match. Done and done. They go with you for surezies. But yeah, I feel like it's a ghost in the basement is like how I would have told the story, how I would have had this go. Come on, Ryan Murphy, make some make some changes. Do it again. I I guess I'm just like the idea that there's someone out there who's like, there's secret things in your house. There's secret things in your walls. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I read one of these letters, I was just like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, and you're right about, like, the children part, too, where it's like, you have children. I have seen them. And you're like, what? Yeah, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, too, because, like, no. S surprise, surprise, it gets worse. Oh, yeah, yeah. The other thing about this letter, it's so very clear that the person who's writing these letters is aiming to terrify. Right, right. Or, like, just to, I don't know, like, I think they're kind of taking on that authority role, though, of just, you are in my home. How they talk about, like, my grandfather watched the house in the 20s. My father watched it in the 60s. This is my family's life work is to be at this house and watch it. Yeah, like, it's like their legacy. So if you want to take that paranormal approach again, think of it like, uh, in my brain, the movie that's playing out is there were, like, employees of the home that worked there. And maybe for generations they worked there. Or maybe, like, a service person that fixed that home so many times and just fell in love with it. And then one of them passed and is stuck watching and making sure the home is is great. And then they're mad, of course, that they're updating it because it's not the same anymore. Yeah. I think also just 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades. Right. The phrasing of that is so bizarre to me. 
Right. It's like they feel an ownership, but it's not theirs. And like they know that. Right. Because it's not like it's it, it hasn't been the property. It's the subject. So it's kind of like not only was it not this person's, but it wasn't their father's and it wasn't their grandfather's either. Mm-hmm. It's been their obsession. And that's what I think is so interesting is the idea that you have like a multi-generational stalking of a piece of property, possibly. Yeah. And the humans in it. Yeah. And the humans in it. But to me, it doesn't, they seem kind of like a means to an end. They are bringing up the people only to scare them Mm -hmm. because they want them to know that they are watching the house. Yeah. They're under surveillance. Yeah. Oof. I don't like it. I don't like it. But okay. So it's 10 p.m. Derek was like, ugh, I'm done painting, which is never fun to me. Goes outside, checks his mail. Finds the letter that has all this in it, because this is one letter. We had it read by different people because, again, we don't know the term. But he reads this letter, comes into the house and starts running from room to room. And he, what he's doing is he's shutting the lights off because in the letter they said they're looking in. And so he's like, well, now you're not right. You can't see inside the house. Mm-hmm. So he calls the police, which is the Westfield Police Department, and an officer came out. And this is one of the things that like I... I feel like I had very like intense reactions when I was reading this because I audibly <laughs> laughed when I read this account. Yeah. Obviously, Derek handed the officer the letter, but the officer's response was, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and like, what do you what else would you say if you were reading a letter like that? Yeah. And also clearly like, like they're in like this small affluent town where things aren't happening. And then this guy's like, oh, here's the letter I received. <laughs> He's like, um... It's like 10 o'clock at night. It's probably like somebody who's a rookie. And he's just like, I'm sorry, what? Fair though, right? What the fuck is it? Yeah. And so the officer asked Derek whether he had any enemies who would write this threatening letter. And he also suggested that Derek move a piece of construction equipment that had been on the front porch because they were afraid they, they would use it to break the front windows. I mean, that's good thinking. Yeah. That, I mean, that is smart. I think... At this point, when you're reading the letter, it doesn't feel like the watcher would do anything to hurt the home, though. No, I mean, it It seems like they're already in the home. <laughs> oh, God. So Derek went to his old house because they hadn't moved out of it yet because they were doing the renovations. And he and his wife decided to write a letter to the previous owners of the property. And that was John and Andrea Woods to see if they knew who wrote the letter. Because theoretically, this person, again, has been watching it for a while and their family's been watching it for a heck of a long time. And in the letter, it said, the Woodses brought them young blood. So another reason to think perhaps they understand what's going on. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the Woods and their family. The Woods had lived in the home for 23 years. The Broadduses received a response from Andrea Wood the next morning. And she wrote that she hadn't heard of the Watcher until a couple of days before they moved out but that their letter did tell them the Watcher's family had been observing the home. So interesting thought. Would you mention this if you were selling a house, especially since they likely already closed? Would you? I think I would, especially if they had children. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it could hurt them, though. Like they could lose a sale over it. The right thing to do versus like what most people would do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what most people would do. I just I think that like I'm of the mentality that like... Well, there's what we ought to do. And I think that if you have a reason why somebody might not want to move into a place, let them know. Especially because, like, it's not as though this was like a vacation home where they wouldn't be spending a lot of time. This is a place where they were moving to raise their children. And Maria grew up in Westfield. So, like, she was moving home. Mm-hmm. So, like, the idea that you wouldn't let someone know to me, it just feels a little bit weird, even if it was just in passing. Or, like, they were like, hey, just so you know, like, we received this letter and they left it on, like, the dining room table when they left. Doesn't even have to be a conversation. Just here's a heads up, even if it was after closing. That's fair. You know what? I've seen so many stories, though, of, like, on both sides of it, of either neighbors not liking the people that are looking at the home. So they do ridiculous things Mm -hmm. to keep the potential buyers away. Yeah. Or that they, they want to select the buyers themselves and then just make a a scene, if you will, to make sure that someone won't buy the home. But I, I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen a lot on TikTok, actually. And then I've seen a couple articles of like, what have you done to make sure that the the grumpy person next door didn't sell it to another grump? 
I've seen things like that. And there's also, I am like spacing on the names, but that's also like the premise of some movies is that they'll do things like that. Mm -hmm. So when Maria went to the police station, the Woods family also came with her. And the officer that they spoke with was Detective Leonard Lugo. And he told them their new neighbors were suspects and that they shouldn't talk about their letters to anyone. I'm stressed already. I understand why, because clearly it's somebody who's a neighbor. Maybe? You would hope it's a neighbor, not just someone like driving up daily to stare at your home. (laughs) It's all creepy, no matter what. That just takes more effort and makes it a little more creepy. Do you want your house's stalker close or far away? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So understandably, the Broadduses were very vigilant after they received the letter. Within a week of receiving the letter... They went to a party at one of their neighbor's homes, and it was to welcome them and the other new neighbors in the neighborhood. So while they were at the cookout, their neighbor, John Schmidt, who lived two doors down, mentioned the Langford family. So let's explore them a little. The matriarch of the family, her name was Peggy Langford, and she was 90. A few of her adult children, who were in their 60s, lived with her. Schmidt noticed that the family was peculiar and that one of their younger sons, Michael Langford, didn't work, and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway. What an interesting detail. Do you know who what Ernest Hemingway looks like? <laughs> it's like this dude. I'm, I'm Googling him now. Oh my God. When you think of a mustache and beard, it's literally just that. <laughs> looks like Ernest Hemingway. Like who thinks of that? It's literally just like a mustache and beard. Like technically my husband has an Ernest Hemingway beard and so does yours and so does my dad and so does my brother. Yeah. It's just a beard and mustache. Here, no, I'm going to send it to you because it, it's like, <laughs> well, that's how I'm going to describe him now. It's just a beard and mustache. Looks like Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> Unless they meant like a different time period than what I'm looking at, but it looked like he had the same one. Oh, I'm looking at it. And like his facial hair was relatively straight rather than being kind of curly. I mean, not that it's not. Yeah, I'm just like going through all these pictures of him. It got a little longer at points and then he ditched it at points too. So like, okay. It's not perfectly straight, but it's also like, I just feel like a little straighter. Well, that's how we will now refer to anyone when we're describing with like a mustache beard combo. <laughs> His beard was like Ernest Hemingway. You know what? It makes us sound really uh worldly. I don't know. Poetic, smart, a little pretentious, if you will. Like hmm, a real Ernest Hemingway beard. Okay. Get fucked. Like worldly. <laughs> just you have a beard. But anyway, sure. <laughs> He had a beard and a mustache in the most basic way. I was expecting something cool. Like he had shaved like a circle on his chin. Yeah. I was thinking like either like ridiculous long or like. Yeah. Anything. Anyway. I don't know. But okay. Okay. Let's go back to these Langford people. So Michael Langford, that's who we were describing. He had also been diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was younger. He would sometimes startle newer folks because he would walk through their yards or he'd look into windows of the homes to see the renovations. Who's Mothman? There's Mothman. <laughs> yeah. Mothman had a Ernest <laughs> Hemingway-like beard. So most people thought he was odd, but not dangerous. If you have seen this person for decades and he's just curious about what's going on, you know he's not going to hurt anyone. You're walking a line there if you're like looking into people's homes, right? Someone should give him a heads up that someone with Ernest Hemingway's beard is going to come looking into their home. That's frightening. Yeah, that's dangerous to me. But okay. So lots of people knew him, but didn't think he was capable of writing the letters. The Langford family made for excellent suspects because they had lived there since the watcher father had been observing the 657 Boulevard home in the 60s. Peggy's husband, Richard, had died 12 years ago. Michael Langford was interviewed by Detective Lugo, and Lugo later told the Broadduses, that things that Michael said were in line with things that the watcher had said. Despite this, though, the police chief said there wasn't anything they could do unless Michael confessed. Not loving this. Not loving it. But keep in mind also at this point, it is a letter. It's a letter that we don't like. Right. Nothing illegal. But it's just really fucking creepy. Like, I once had a guy make obscene calls to my work. Jesus, these stories you have. And the police were like, well, that sucks. They were just like, wow, that sounds like a bad time. And I was like, thanks. It does. Can you make it stop? I mean, you shouldn't say there's nothing illegal. It's technically stalking when he's talking about the family. But still, like, 
it's walking a fine line, I guess, right? Because it didn't really admit to like going on the property or doing anything. It's this one letter and they hadn't been there long. So like, it's not as though he'd been doing this for a long time. But so let's talk about the other possibilities of who it could be. Right. The Broadus has also wondered whether the Watcher could be one of the people who they outbid for the home. Because remember, right, it's a beautiful fucking house, even before the renovations. Yeah. But the, the weird thing was, was that the person who wrote it seemed like they lived in the neighborhood. Plus, the other bidders seemed unlikely. There was two other ones. One person had found a different home already. And then the other, they had actually pulled their offer because they had like a medical condition. And so the letters were processed from the Kearney USPS distribution center that was in northern New Jersey. So it made sense-ish, right, for the area. And the first letter was postmarked before the sale was even public. Mm Mm-hmm. That's another intense layer of creepy because remember that first letter mentions the children. That's another layer of creepy. It's so thoroughly a warning at that point, at least in my opinion. Yes. Yes. So Maria was checking the mail after she had stopped at the house one day because she was going there to look at paint samples and she saw there was another letter and it had just been two weeks. Their last name was Broadus. But the letter addressed them as Mr. and Mrs. Braddis. So like with an A instead of an OA. It's interesting that like they're so good about all the other details, but they're missing the name. You know, like, so did they hear it versus see it written? You know, like, what are they getting? I think so. That's what it suggests to me. And the letter said, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. The watcher wrote that he had learned much about them since he had written last. He wrote their children's names and their ages. The watcher wrote, I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. The letter asked whether the child that they had seen using an easel in the enclosed porch space was the artist of the family. The watcher's letter said, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. After the receipt of the second letter, the Broadus stopped taking their children to the new house when they stopped by, and their plans to move stalled. And yet, weeks later, another letter arrived. It said, Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. Yikes. Yeah, this letter is a lot worse. So much fucking worse. Like, here we're really talking about the kids. Also, can I just tell you, if I was doing renovations in a home, right, and someone, anyone, said to me, have they found what's in the walls yet? Mm -mm. I would be like, how many walls in here are load-bearing? Because these guys guys gotta come down. (laughs) They gotta go. Well, and again, the weird paranormal movie that I'm seeing in my head play out is like, you're in the walls. This dude is buried in the walls. In the basement, by the way. Gasp. Gasp. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just know so much. Like, the fact that he was saying the kids' names and their ages, I don't like that. No. It, it implies some research that's done. Then he's talking about the daughter and maybe she's an artist i don't like it oh oh and what was your favorite line amanda no and the scream 
If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Like we mentioned before, there is a show based on this story on Netflix. And as you know, I'm watching the show, I paused it and I was like, I need to just read all these letters. So I went in and that's where I actually read the letters. And I was like, oh, like the show is creepy. But like when you're like, oh, this actually happened to a family, your heart kind of sinks. And then like, you know, we've been talking about moving for the longest time. What if this happened? What if the neighbors were crazy? You know, like things that you have to think about. Well, I mean, I think also, too, that that first letter to me is very much a warning, right? That somebody is watching the house and like, you better treat it right. And this, right, judging what you're doing, is a threat, right? It's you won't hear your children scream. Mm-hmm. And where will they sleep so I can see them better? Like, ooh. and that part, too, where it was like, which bedroom will they be in so I can plan better? Like, what are you planning? Yes, yes. And then it also, like, it warps from this, like, what's going on in the house? I know who's in this house to these, like, veiled kind of threats, right? Where they're not saying exactly what they're going to do, but they're heavily implying it. And they also really implicate the Woodses in this, too, because they basically, he says, like, oh, you they sold it when I told them to. Right. Okay, so... Let's get back to what you're talking about. After realizing that the police really weren't going to do anything, the family took matters into their own hands. Derek set up webcams around the house and would watch the house at night to see if he could find anyone watching the house. Derek also created a map of when each neighbor had moved into the neighborhood and what they could see and hear from their properties. The Langfords were the only family that had lived there since the 1960s. They also hired a private investigator who ran background checks on the neighbors. They didn't really find anything to point to a watcher, but they did, however, find out that there were two sex offenders living within a couple blocks. They also hired two former FBI agents to determine the threat to the family. And those two were Robert Lenahan and Patricia Kirby. And just interesting note about Patricia Kirby, she's the FBI agent that was the inspiration for Clary Starling in Silence of the Lambs. Lenahan said that he thought that the letters may be written by someone who was older because of a couple of reasons. One, the way that the envelope was addressed to M.M. Bratis. Two, the way the weather was described. Three, there's double spacing being used between the sentences, which, of course, you don't really see very much anymore. Four, there was no profanity, although the person was clearly angry. And then five, they used an excellent vocabulary. Lenahan didn't think there was much of a threat, but pointed out that some of the errors in the letters suggested that the writer was relatively erratic. And things that he noticed were typos. And also, there's a mistake on the day of the week for a particular date. And what it was is the writer said June 4th was a Tuesday, but it was actually a Wednesday. And then one of the letters also included, Are you one of those transplants who are ruining Westfield? The house is crying from all of the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what it used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard. When I ran from room to room, imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. It's getting worse. It's getting so much worse. But also, like, not as bad as the second letter. Still, like, hating that it's continuing. And, again, young blood. Now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Like, what do you mean by that, buddy? Also, mentioning when I ran room to room. So, like, were you a child that lived there in the 60s? Who are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so Lehan also suggested that the writer may be jealous that they couldn't afford the home and suggested that it may have been a former housekeeper or their children. The Broadduses believe that the Langfords were their culprits, though. And one of the things that they did was they sent them a letter detailing fictional plans to demolish 657. The reasoning behind this was they hoped that this would like kind of like spur them to do something very overt. If they were obsessed with the home, like the watcher clearly was, they wouldn't be fine with it being demolished. The detective interviewed Michael again, but didn't get any new information. Michael's sister, Abby, at this point, accused police of harassing Michael. 
It's at this point that the Broadduses hired an attorney. His name was Lee Levitt. And Levitt met with the Langford family and their attorney to show them the letters and to point out the vantage point from 657 and the Langford house. So this way, it was a little bit clearer why the Broadduses were so insistent that it was someone in the Langford family. The Langfords continued to say that Michael was innocent. Now, there are reasons to discount Michael as the watcher. And one of the big reasons that they point out is that the second letter was sent immediately after Michael was interviewed. And it seems probably not like the smartest move to send another letter just when you're questioned. So interestingly as well, while he was at the house painting, Bill Woodward saw the couple that lived behind 657 had put two lawn chairs very close to the Broadus's property. And on one occasion, he saw an old man sitting in one of the chairs, but it was facing the Broadus's house. At the end of 2014, Derek asked a priest to bless the house, and they did. And their renovations included a new alarm system. The watcher wrote, 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It's coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. More unhinged? More unhinged, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. Let the young blood... Like, I I don't know what it is about young blood, but it just really creeps me the fuck out. But, like, <laughs> bring the young blood back to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hate it. It needs young blood. Let it sleep there. Ugh. Ugh, I hate it. I hate it so much. And it's also right, like it's it's turning on me and coming after me, right? Like it's a house. It can't do that. Yeah, exactly. And this person's way of talking about how once the kids in the house obviously makes us feel icky. But my weird paranormal brain is like, it wants their young blood to like set the weird ghosts free. Or to give them power. To give them power. Yeah, exactly. Do you not see that? Am I the only crazy person that has a different story in their head? No, I feel like I'm with you there. I think for me, I'm like, it's so rooted in reality and the fact that like there's a, there's a person who's writing these letters to this poor fucking family who has like a, you know, a $1.4 million mortgage. Mm-hmm. And they like, they had this dream of this like beautiful house and the life that their family would have. And not only are they not going to have that dream, but it's literally just replaced by this nightmare. Right. That's kind of sad. Yeah. So back to our story then. The Broadduses had sold their previous home, so they were living with Maria's parents. So remember, they didn't really want to go to their new creepy home, so they're having to make other arrangements. They continued to pay the mortgage and the property taxes, but obviously didn't feel safe living there. The house began to really take a toll on them. Bill, their house painter, also recalls seeing the toll it was taking on Maria. One day, he held her while she was shaking and crying because she was so upset. That's so heartbreaking. What do you even do? Right, right. And I know this is like a a certain fancy neighborhood, but like most people wouldn't have a second option, right? Like in a lot of the horror movies that you watch too, they're like, all of our money was just dumped into this home, buying it and renovating it. And like, they have to stay there. Luckily, they got to stay elsewhere. But still, like moving your family in with your parents doesn't sound fun either. No, no, it does not. So they had told a few friends about the letters, but cited legal issues to other friends. Some of their friends questioned whether they were going to break up or something along those lines because they were cagey with why they weren't living in their house. Derek and Maria started to argue more and more, which makes sense. They're very stressed. And they both needed medication to sleep, even though they weren't sleeping at the Boulevard home. But like threatening letters to your kids, I think that's absolutely fair to still be stressed out and scared when also like it's not even just like threatening letters it's like threatening specific letters where like it's clear that they're watching them yeah yeah so Derek got more and more depressed 
And Maria's therapist said that she had PTSD that she couldn't begin to work through until they sold the home. About six months after the first letter came, they decided to put the house up for sale. Remember, they had done some serious renovations, so they had listed it higher than what they had paid. However, because they had never lived in the home, rumors began to circulate. And those rumors made it very difficult to sell the home because, yeah, like, why wouldn't you live in this beautiful home? Additionally, they disclosed parts of the letters to anyone who was putting in a bid and said that they would show them the full letters if anyone was going to likely buy the house. So they were being good people being like, "Mm, we're selling this. Here's a little weird thing that's happening. Yeah, a little weird thing. Technically, though, like, No one knows who was writing these letters and the rumors going around, too. So realtors told them that they were sharing too much, obviously, because they wanted the commission. But they were very clear that they did not want to sell the home to anyone else who was going to go through what they had. So they were like good people. All the offers they received were well below what they had paid for the home before the renovations. So like they were going to be out of money. Yeah. Well, which also means, though, that not only are they out of money, but they're going to have to continue to make that mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. because they wouldn't have the money from the new sale to pay for the mortgage. So they would have to be paying their mortgage for a home that they never lived in. We're never going to live in. Yeah. And so Derek and Maria decided to sue the Woodses for not disclosing that they had received a letter prior to moving out. And I feel like that's a really tough one, right? Like, because how could they have known? Like, even if they, okay, say they just received the one letter, Right. They probably wouldn't know that this person was going to, like, threaten the children. Right. Couldn't have known this part. But I can understand trying to solution. Yeah. And, like, every state is different, too, on, like, what you have to disclose and what you don't have to. Yes. And, I mean, I also think it's worth noting that the Woodses lived there for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And they likely didn't buy that house for $1.4 million. Mm-hmm. But they did sell it for that much. Right. So they had presumably a sizable profit, I would imagine. So at this point, when they were deciding to sue them and when they did, the kids didn't know about the letters. And remember, again, they're 5, 8, and 10. And the Broadduses were hoping for a small settlement because from what I understand, like, they really just wanted to be able to, like, make up for that difference between what they could sell the house for and what they paid and had put into the house. And they were worried about media coverage. And their attorney assured them that it was unlikely that it would get much press. However, a couple of weeks later, a story of what they had gone through was discussed on the Today Show because somebody who was doing research for them came across the complaint that they had filed against the Woodses. And so news trucks began showing up at, at the 657 address. And at least one reporter literally got a chair and just sat outside and watched the property themselves. The Broadduses got over 300 media requests, but they decided that they were not going to discuss their situation publicly because they had actually contacted a crisis management consultant to kind of figure out like what to do. So obviously at this point, it's all over the news. They're like, okay, our kids are going to find out about this. So they sit their children down to talk about the letters. And again, one of them was just five years old. So like, how do you explain that to a five-year-old? I have no idea. And even a 10-year-old, like, how do you not terrify them, but let them know what's going on? Right. And we haven't talked about it and we're going to, but like, we read this story and we're like horrified for this family, right? Mm -hmm. And that seems like a reasonable response. What doesn't seem like a reasonable response is how Westfield responds to them, Mm -hmm. which blows my mind. But so the case was eventually dismissed during this time when they decided to file the lawsuit and all of the news is out. They decided they're going to leave Westfield. And keep in mind, they were living in Westfield because they were staying with Maria's parents because that's where Maria grew up. When they left, they went to stay at their friend's beach house. So while they're staying there, their friend had a grandma seizure and then Maria's grandfather had a heart attack. Things are are going fucking badly. Yeah, in every way possible. In every way possible. And I mentioned it a second ago, but people start to get really interested in this case. We have news outlets, we have people on the internet who are, of course, fascinated by it because it is intriguing. And people begin to speculate who or what this could have been. And we'll talk about it in a bit, but when I read this list, it's absolutely going to sound, you're going to go, huh, if you've already watched the Netflix show. So 
some of the suggestions from people on the internet were that the letters came from perhaps a mistress and that Derek was having an affair, that there was a realtor who either wanted to have had the sale or wanted the property for themselves, that this was part of a high schooler's creative writing project. That's, uh, I think that was actually like an insult. These seem like bad horror. You know, it is kind of like what that sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. Um, That it was kind of like guerrilla marketing for a horror movie, which if it was, brilliant, but not to terrorize a family, but to like have the letters generally. Like don't terrorize families horror movies, but whatever. And then someone else said, quote unquote, mall golf's having fun. And as a weird (laughs) kid that hung out at the mall, I was not terrorizing families. This was like like the last thing on my mind. I love four and five so much, the marketing and mall goths. So most of the 657 Boulevard neighbors were completely shocked when news crews started showing up because, per the police's instructions, the Broadduses never talked to them. So several of the neighbors got together and they wrote a letter to the local paper and they said, we are confounded as to how a thorough investigation can be conducted without talking to all of the neighbors within a proximity to the home. And that's a good fucking question. It really is. Like, how, if the people around you haven't been spoken to, how could you have investigated this? I understand telling the Broadduses to not go show the letter to everyone because, like, they're not detectives. But maybe then you go do it, police, right? Yeah, go police. And so a retired detective from the Westfield Police Department, Baron Chambliss, looked at the case and deduced that the police really didn't support the Broadduses. No, of course they didn't. And actually, at one point, a DNA test had been done on one of the letters, and the DNA was from a woman. Ooh. Shock. Do you have chills? Are you surprised? (laughs) I literally threw my hands up when I read that. I was like, what? All of this time, (laughs) I never thought of a woman. Now, now that we're talking about a woman and we talk about young blood... Is he giving Elizabeth Bathory? A little. A little bit. Not liking it. She wants to bathe in their blood. <laughs> oh, God. The house <laughs> wants to bathe in their young blood. I'm terrified. Chambliss. Okay. So, but Chambliss considered Abby Langford, who was a real estate agent. And again, that she was Michael's sister, so part of the Langford family. Her DNA was compared to the sample, but she was not a match. And the prosecutor's office told the Broadduses, we've ruled out the entire Langford family. And I don't know if that means that they ruled them out as suspects because we're like, we have to stop harassing them or whether they checked everyone's DNA. Right. I would wonder that too. Like, how did they come to that conclusion? So let's talk about some other parts of the investigation. One of their neighbors was the CEO of a security firm, and they hired them to try to find a handwriting match. But they, of course, were not successful. Also hired a forensic linguist, Robert Leonard, but he didn't find anything substantial. He did suggest that they may watch Game of Thrones, though, because Jon Snow was described as the watcher on the wall. Interesting. (laughs) It's an interesting like, oh, you know what? They're probably watching this. So let's figure that out. By the way, I never have watched it. (laughs) You've never watched Game of Thrones? I didn't. You would have loved the dragons. (laughs) Maybe, but doesthedogdie.com? pretty much talked me out of watching it. So a friend suggested that they hire a hacker to hack their neighbors to see if they could find anything, but they didn't go through with it. Police also asked Andrea Woods for a sample, and they considered her 21-year-old son for a little bit, and the sample did not match, so that ruled them out. Once the news broke, though, a child from one of the neighboring homes on the boulevard posted something on Facebook saying their family had gotten a similar letter from someone named The Watcher. The post, though, was deleted relatively quickly, which is interesting, too, like when you think of crimes nowadays where people want attention and the follows and things like that, that they'll do anything for it. Yeah, yeah. Even if it hurts another family. Mm -hmm. So one night, Chambliss was watching the home through a set of binoculars and saw a car stop in front of the home. Inside of the car was a woman who was dating someone on the same block. She told Chambliss that her boyfriend was into, quote unquote, some really dark video games, and that he was playing as a character named The Watcher. The boyfriend wasn't living on the boulevard at the time, but agreed to meet for an interview with Chambliss, and he never showed. There wasn't enough evidence to make him come in, and the media attention dwindling made Chambliss not push further. That's very weird. I feel like... If media outrage and like 
attention is kind of dwindling, there's only so much you could do. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, we've discussed that a little bit in other cases where like, it's the media that keeps the case alive. And once the media loses interest, it's really hard to get anything done. Yeah. People began to wonder if the Broadduses made the letters up after having buyer's remorse. Confusing there for me is that the first one was postmarked before the sale was public. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Because why would they have hired all these people to do renovations and spent more money if they were trying to get out of the house? Yeah, exactly. People act as though it was a long con by the Broadduses, but they were you know, hemorrhaging money, trying to find out what was going on while they were paying their mortgage and taxes. So like, why would they hurt themselves that much, you know, financially, especially? Yeah. Plus, Maria was from Westfield and they had moved there to raise their children. So why would they decide to do a con there, like where her family was? And why would they have stayed in the area, you know, if it was a lie? Maria's DNA was tested against the DNA, too. And of course, like it didn't match. I also just want to point out that this is it's like also like the weirdest con of all of the ways in which you could con people out of money. This doesn't make sense. Like they were doing renovations. If they wanted to accidentally have a fire, they probably could have. Yeah. Yeah. There's just easier things to do if you want to do a con. Yeah. That feels like a really dramatic way. It, it seems like you're trying to dislike these people is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. That's what it that's how it comes across to me. So in 2017, the Broadus has held an open house in an attempt to sell the house. And one of the things that they did was they checked their sign in book to see if the handwriting matched any of the letters. Smart. But it didn't. But I was like, wow, that's a great idea. It wouldn't even occur to me. But like they were probably only thinking about this. So there were several people who were interested in the property. But then once they showed them the full letters, they pulled out. Derek remembered one guy who he was like, fuck it. I'm going to get a house at a discount. And then he read the letters and never contacted them again. I mean, fair. Someone's, you know, threatening children. Yeah. Like when you get into the meat of it, it's very terrifying. Like the you'll never hear them scream kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So running out of options, they considered selling the property as two lots. But this required them to apply to the planning board because it, there was like zoning issues and to like split the parcel. And the meeting lasted for hours and there were over a hundred different attendees and basically people were getting up and just like ripping them in half and calling them frauds and being like very unnecessarily nasty over them just wanting to split this property yeah look in this area people have protested about like what they could potentially turn some of the land into and like don't get me wrong like i think that it is a good mechanism that you can have a voice at a zoning meeting especially like if there's going to be like businesses in your neighborhood that you're like, hey, maybe I don't want a liquor store three feet from my house. Or maybe I I don't I actually don't want a bar that's really close to my house because I, I'm going to be able to hear it at night and I don't want people who are drunk stumbling around my neighborhood. Those things I understand. But this to split two lots is so, so bizarre that so many people had serious opinions on it. And what it makes me think of is like they were treating the Broadus as like outsiders who were coming in and like they just wanted to tear down this beautiful house that had been a part of the community for so long. And they were mad about that. And they didn't care about the people. And that's what I find so, so wild. If you looked at what letters and what hell they were going through, wouldn't you be like, these poor people? I, I honestly don't care. It doesn't it doesn't change my day. Mm hmm. Yeah. And we haven't mentioned this, but we actually don't have access to the full letters. I scoured the internet for them and I don't think they've ever fully been released. So I think that there actually may be other worse things in them. Anyway, the Broadus's application to split the parcels was denied and they appealed it and it was also denied. The main reason was just that the house was too beautiful to tear down. Because in order to split the parcel, they would have had to tear down the house. Right. I, I would say like, yeah, historical reasons, too. Yeah. But I mean, like, here's my thing. Nothing historic happened in the house. Mm, fair. There's nothing historic that happened in the house. So I do not see how the house merely being old should be a higher priority than that the landowner gets to do whatever the fuck they want to do with their property within reason. People are sentimental about everything. Everything. Clearly, this this has been the subject of this family for three generations. So I will spit out water. <laughs> You're welcome. After the meeting, a family with older children and two big dogs said they would rent the property. But they said the only way we'll do it is if there is a clause that we can break the lease if another letter comes. 
that sounds like a hassle. I'm going to move my children and my dogs who are going to have a fit having to be moved and then move away as soon as the letter comes that like seems like it's going to come. Maybe it's that family that they're mad at. That family or or maybe they were writing the letters. And maybe they needed like a place to stay for a little while. And they were like, I would love to stay in this mansion Mm -hmm. because it's a stunning house. So, I mean, worth a shot. So Derek agrees. That family moves in. There were some squirrel related issues. And so Derek stopped by. And when he got there, the tenant hands him a letter that had just come in the mail. And the letter was dated for the same day that the Broadduses had given their depositions in their case against the Woodses. And it said, Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. Oh, this is poetic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. I don't know. Like, I feel like they riled him a little or her. Maybe someone was close to figuring out who the writer was. I don't know. Like, look, I mocked you here, here and here. I was there. Yeah, but also, like, the alliteration, the insults, and also, like, (laughs) violent winds and bitter cold. Like, it's just so dramatic. Not that it's not all very dramatic, but that's, like, extra dramatic. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I feel like my guess would be they almost got caught, and now they're just like, this is how I can mock you. I was there. I was there. Maybe I was here. And, like, my soldiers of the boulevard, I don't know, it's, it's like an authoritative role again. Yes. Like, my soldiers, they carried out their mission. Like, they're working under the Watcher. All hail the Watcher. Like, you're full of yourself. Calm down. And so, moving on, Derek took the letter to the police, but there wasn't much for the police to go on. In 2018, there were new tenants, but the rent didn't even cover the mortgage. Also in 2018, the planning board approved splitting a lot around the corner from the 657 Boulevard home. That was an even bigger exception. On Christmas Eve of 2017, some of the people that had been very critical of the Broadduses received some anonymous letters in their mailboxes. Derek admitted that he wrote the letters that were described as, quote unquote, weirdly poetic, and that talked about recent acts of domestic terrorism, where there had been ignored signs of escalating mental illness. The letters were signed Friends of the Broaddus Family. Derek was not proud of them. And here's the fourth letter. Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you fall sick day after day, after day, after day, after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved ones suddenly die, planes and cars and bicycles crash, bones break. You are despised by the house and the watcher won. I don't like it. Those types of things sound like a curse. Mm -hmm. I curse you to have like bad luck or something bad to happen to you. And so I'm like, that's just an interesting. Fortunately for the Broadduses, the house was sold to Andrew and Allison Carr in 2019. They've not reported receiving any letters. I think they're hoping like not to give any more time to this person, you know, like because they're almost a celebrity, right? Kind of like when we talk about glorifying serial killers. I know this is technically two different things. They're the talk of the town. Yes. I think that if I was receiving letters... I would not tell anyone either because of the way that the Broadduses were treated and because you know that it will continue to drive the property price down. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that means that like if I were to sell the house, I wouldn't say anything then, but I would definitely perhaps I would say there are things about the house that I would like to tell you in order for me to tell you, you have to sign this non-disclosure agreement. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like I would have some type of mechanism to tell people, but it wouldn't be just like, let me tell anyone. And also because I wouldn't want news trucks at my house unless I actually thought it was a problem. Yeah. I mean, maybe they weren't as threatening if they did receive letters. Maybe they liked them for whatever reason. They weren't making like, I mean, the construction was already either almost done or pretty much done. Mm-hmm. Maybe they left it alone and didn't piss them off. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, we didn't say it overtly, but they never figured out who the watcher was. Mm-mm. That is haunting. And the other thing to me is that, you know what else we didn't find out? What? The fuck they were talking about in the walls. I don't know. Maybe they didn't tear down the walls yet. It stresses me out. Have you done like the walkthrough of the actual house, by the way? It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. It's so pretty. Yeah. So that's the watcher. And in the show, there's supposedly a man who murdered his entire family who lived in the house before the Brannocks had moved in. And this character, John Graff, was based on the real-life murderer John List, who killed his family in 1971 in Westfield, New Jersey. And we're going to get into John List in a future episode that we have coming up, and we'll talk about the differences between how the show portrayed events and then what actually happened. It's actually not next week, but the week after we'll have our John List episode. Yeah, that'll be an interesting episode. Yeah. Amanda, what would you have done? Oh, man. So like I've already told. Well, I mean, I guess you wouldn't really know that a letter is going to come after you buy it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a tricky one. When we were buying this house, we saw maybe I don't know 20 houses, maybe more. And there were some that I walked in and I was like, no, thank you. And the realtor's like, why? And I'm like, I just no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it was clearly haunted. I don't know. We bought this as a new build for the reason of not having weird stuff. But like if we move there. There are no real new builds in that particular area. There's some, but like not as much over here. There are, but it's the like, it's not a definite. Yeah, but I mean, like a new build won't have a watcher because it's like brand new, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, kind of what they did, I think, like they were they were nice. They told the future people that were buying the house what was going on. They got their kids out of there quickly to live with family I mean, I think I just kind of follow with what they did, right? I think that they made the right choices. What about you? Well, I think that they made the right decisions for their family as they were doing them because it's a lot easier to like do a postmortem on like somebody's decisions and what they did than it is to make real time decisions. But Mm -hmm. the only thing that I would have done differently is that I think that I would have talked to my neighbors because I would have wanted to see their face when they saw this letter because I guess that's fair. Yeah. If you don't have that what the fuck response, something is up, right? Yeah. And I think that that's what I would have done differently. I do think it was one of the neighbors. Same. Because the way that they worded it suggests that to me. Or it is someone who maybe they didn't have a life where they would ever be able to buy that house or house like that. And maybe that's the house that they like fantasized about. Yeah. I could see that. But who do you think it was? I think it it was one of the neighbors and like they were either mad that they wanted everything to stay the same and did not like the construction. And that's kind of like their way of they thought like would stop it from happening. I don't know if you have those neighbors that are just like nothing in this neighborhood can change. Yeah. So that about wraps it up for our first episode on The Watcher. Keep an eye out for our John List episode coming up. We wanted to give... A special lovely thank you to all of our voice actors this week who were our fantastic patrons. Yes, thank you. They're the best. They truly are the best. And while we're talking about our patrons, we realize that it's been a moment since we've talked about our Patreon. If you are loving the show, we would love for you to join our Patreon. We put so much work into this, but let's talk quickly about our Patreon tiers. We have a few. The first is our mittens tier. And with that, you get access to our Discord. Everyone has access to our Facebook group, The Bat Bonfire now, but the Discord is just for patrons. And we do a lot more, I would say, chatting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're in there every day, I would say. We share memes. We talk about the episodes. Sometimes there's things where (laughs) either one of us is like, "Mm, we won't tell the public, but we'll tell our patrons, like on particular stories. Yeah. We also have our dump ghost here. That's $5. And... They get access to everything we've already talked about, plus a sticker when they join, and then every year on your Patreon anniversary. So I've mailed a few of those out in the last couple months. 
And our sticker changes each year. So everyone will have different stickers. Our Fire Yeti tier, these names are great. I hope you understand the references. That's $8. And it's everything we already talked about, plus our beautiful fall custom card. You have to join by September 15th each year to receive that card. But I have mine framed. I think they're great. There is our Vortex Bouncer. That's 25 And you get everything plus a t-shirt or tote when you join. And then yearly on your Patreon anniversary, you'll receive another one. And then lastly, our Jam Thieves are $50. And what you'll get is access to our Discord, which is a lot of fun. You'll get that sticker I talked about, and it changes each year on your anniversary. You'll get the beautiful fall card. You'll get the t-shirt or tote. Each year, you'll decide which one you want. And then you'll also get a jar of local jam when you join and additional jam every Patreon anniversary. So different flavors, different different types. And you'll also get a shout out in our show notes for each episode. Yeah. And that is the only tier where we actually will do that. Mm-hmm. And you could put your name or even your business name or something like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Either one works. We appreciate you for listening. We hope you've liked our Watcher episode and all of our Patreon clips in here. Yeah, and let us know what you would do if you were in their shoes. Yeah, and with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening, and as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) Don't kill your husband here. Every kid wants a gas station snack. Are we going to go to Royal Farms and get some snickety snacks? That's a gas station? Royal Farms? Amanda, I need you to change your tone if you're going to move to Maryland because Royal Farms is a motherfucking institution.